This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. you in your BC days before Jesus, when you were against God and you were fighting against God, you had enmity with God. The Bible says that before the cross, that your heart and your mind is against God. You're fighting against God. God still loved you. He still loved you. And that was, dis- that was even displayed for us through Christ. When he knew that Judas would betray him, he still loved him. Our God is unfathomable. It doesn't make any sense by our human understanding. As a whole, mankind has spit in his face and rebelled against his commands and design in every way possible. Many have an outright hatred for him, while others just choose to ignore or deny his existence. Yet, as Pastor Eddie reminds us in today's message, despite our complete unworthiness, he loved us enough to offer us a chance at redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in Romans chapter 8 for today's edition of Running the Race. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 and 3. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 and 3. It said, Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. One hand already has the key and the chain. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. John, when he wrote this, he wanted to make sure, he wants you to know who he's talking about. He's talking about Satan. He got all four of his names. Dragon, serpent, devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. We're talking about the millennium reign, when we were ruling reign with Christ, and when he would be put away, and he cast him into the bottom of his pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. A nameless angel. He didn't say Gabriel, <laughs> right? He didn't say Michael. Nope. You're not talking about a cherubim, you're talking about one of the angels without a name. Can handle saying it with one hand behind his back and toss him in a in garbage can, if you will, the bottom of his pit. So you see, you can't compare the two. You know, sometimes you see pictures and posters of Jesus and Satan and ring or arm wrestling or they're fighting. No, are you kidding me? Jesus is not going to get dirty. Nameless angel. Oh, yeah, let's just pick out of the billions and billions of angels. Hey, you go take care of that guy. That's how it's done. Now, you yourself and I, we have no power over Satan. In ourselves, we don't. Don't be fooled. That people lie and say, no, you have power. No, you don't. Satan has so much power. He could destroy you spiritually, and he definitely can destroy you physically. But it is he who is in me. It is he who is in me that is in you that has power over Satan. First John chapter 4, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4, 1 John, it says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you, is, that's he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, Satan. Who's the prince of the world? Satan. Greater is he who is in you. So it's not you by yourself. So let me tell you, yeah, Satan is powerful, but because 
he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who can come against us? All the powers of, of hell may set themselves against us, but since, if, since God is for us, they can never prevail against us with God on our side. And here's the team, here's the team. You, the believer in Jesus Christ, plus God, you, the believer in Jesus Christ, plus God, makes an unconquerable majority. There is no way. God alone can handle him. Well, again, one of his nameless angels can handle him. Imagine God with you. Now, with that question, Paul makes an assertion here, and that's good for us, and I think we don't want to overlook this, and I think it's important, is that God himself is not against us. If God is for us, he's with us. He's not against us. And that's important for us to understand because sometimes when we mess up, we, when, we, when we think that God is disappointed with us, that, that we struggle and we fail, that God is against us. God is never against his own. He is with you. His Holy Spirit is working 24-7 to make you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And the enemy will always, the accuser, because you know how, that's he, how's how he works, he's going to say, listen, you, you messed up. Forget about this Christian stuff. You messed up. Why go to church? Why get involved with the Bible study and the fellowship? You messed up. God is against you. God is never against you, saints. Remember that. Children of God, sons and daughters of God, God is never against you. Don't don't let the enemy lie to you. He's never against you. Again, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so here the Apostle Paul declares that what matters is not what's against us, is not what's against you. you. We always look at what's in front of us. We look at our trials and tribulations. We look at our enemies. It's not what's against you that you know, God wants you to focus on, but who is for us? It's God. That's all you need to know. So it's totally relevant how big your problem is or how big your enemy is or how big the army might be. They may come to you orderly in one direction, but God with you, they'll be scattered in many. That's the way God works. You're a with him. And God the Father is for us, the believer, you and I, to the extent that in verse 32, look at verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. He, the Father, did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not spare his only son, his prized possession, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And if there's ever a man that was close to understand, to understand what God has been through or what God felt when he gave his only son was Abraham. Remember Abraham? God said, Abraham, go, go take your son and take him up to that mountain and you're going to sacrifice him. He's going to say, oi vey, I waited 100 years for a son. The only son I have. And this is the first time you're going to see the word love in the Bible when you read that chapter. The first time you're going to hear begotten son in the Bible in Genesis. The first time. And it's amazing the first time is that God is giving Abraham a picture. Say, Abraham, take your only begotten son whom you love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And take him up to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is what we know today as Calvary. What we know as Golgotha, where Christ was crucified. And Abraham took his son up there, but he... He took his two witnesses with him, his two servants with him and his son, who was with Jesus on the cross, two, two criminals, right? So he takes, you see a picture. Abraham, you know, he's with the wood. You know, Isaac, I'm sorry. He said, Father, we have the wood. Where's the sacrifice? God himself will provide the ultimate sacrifice. But he tells his two servants, wait down here. We'll be back. 
I thought you was going to sacrifice his son. What faith you have. So he goes to Calvary. And just about when he's about to sacrifice his son, he said, Abraham, do not harm the boy. Now I know. But Abraham saw what God was going to do with his son at that very place. Now listen, when you think about those in the Bible, I mean, have you experienced what what Isaac experienced? Now you know why some of these people need therapy. I mean, oh, the Bible's filled with dysfunctional families. So listen, you think you have a dysfunctional family? The Bible's filled. Join the party. And so you see what would happen. God knew, I mean, Abraham knew. So I don't think we understand this love that God has for us, that he almost sacri- that He gave his only begotten son, the greatest gift that could ever be given. He did not spare his only son, Jesus Christ, for us, and who himself was God. And so Paul, now he, 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 he echoes an early assurance that he gave us in Romans chapter 5. If God loves his people, he loves us to the extent where Christ had died from, he sent his only son, how much greater would be the benefit of his resurrection? In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, he says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us. When? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you, in your BC days before Jesus, when you were against God, and you were fighting against God. You had enmity with God. The Bible says that before the cross, that your heart and your mind is against God. You're fighting against God. God still loved you. He still loved you. And that was, dis- that was even displayed for us through Christ. When he knew that Judas would betray him, he still loved him. Matter of fact, when he gave him the bread, it was an honorary thing that you would do when he passed the bread and he said, go do what you're called to do. He said, go hurry quickly and do it. That dipping and that little, that little uh, ceremony that they would do is something you would do to a friend. Showing that you're still my friend, even though you're going to betray me. I still love you. And that's the same for you and I. Why we were still sinning, he still loved us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Here's the third question. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if, if God the Father has already given us the greatest gift ever, can, we, can he give anything greater than his son, Jesus Christ? Now, we always look at God as unlimited. There's nothing impossible for God. But when we look at this, yes, there is nothing greater that he could give than his own son because he's given of himself. Is there anything greater? So God has already given us the greatest gift. If there's anything, uh, any lesser gift that he would give us, that he can't give us if he gave us the greatest? If God the Father had already paid the highest price, will he hesitate to pay any lower price? If God the Father has gone gone through such great length to produce our salvation, will he ever let us go? Think about that, saints. Meditate on that. Ponder on that. Let it sink into your heart. If God has given us the very best and his very best was his son, it would stand to reason that he will freely give us all things. He will freely give us all things. Now, there are those who uh, will probably take a verse like this and other verse similar to it. Like if we ask and you ask, you're free. And if you, anything you ask in my name will be given to you. And of course, they don't really study the verse. You know, they, they forget that the Bible is broken up into chapter and verse breaks and they never read the verse before it. And they don't read the verse after it and keep it in context. So they build a doctrine of theology out of this teaching of free giving, anything we ask. And it's a false teaching. It's known as the faith movement which is hyper-faith, where you could demand and boss God to give you whatever you want only because you asked in his name. I said, the Lord is up there. So I have a plan for Eddie's life. Uh, we're going to go this way. 
Oh, Lord, I'm going this way in your name. Darn it. Really? I have kids. My kids never demand me of anything. <laughs> That's a joke. I don't think if you pass their head, they're going to demand, Daddy, I want a PlayStation. It's not going to happen. You know, it's not going to happen. And so we have this thing that we could boss God around, but he will freely give us all things. God is not obligated to give us anything. God doesn't have to give you anything. It's according to his will. God knows. And many of you have been, you have parents or your parents. You know when your kid is asking you for something, you know it's not good for them. Would you give it to them because they said so? Because I'm your child. You know, think about it. It doesn't, that's not the way God works. You know, we who are a sinful flesh, we're going to know better than God. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 tells us, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his, to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all your needs, not wants. There's a difference. We by nature want material things. We want everything. We want to keep up with the Joneses, right? And I never met the Joneses, but I think they're like gazillionaires. We always got to keep up with them. It's all your needs, not your wants. And there are many things that I want, like a motorcycle. I could join CMA. I say, Lord, don't you want me part of CMA? Put it in my wife's heart, say it's okay. <laughs> Lord, it's, it's a ministry. I, I'm your son. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to go into Harley Davidson. They're going to give me a bike. Okay. <laughs> God, listen, Eddie, I love the ministry. And we want to keep it a good ministry. We're going to keep you out. <laughs> We're going to keep you safe and keep you alive. I love you, Eddie. Yeah, you can. Yeah, but listen, you're in trouble. You're accident prone. God knows what's good for me. God knows what's good for me. So there are many things that I want, but God knows what's best for me. God knows that, that if he gives us everything we want, we'll be messed up. Think about it. And I thank God many times. I don't know if you've been experienced this where you pray for something. And then you didn't get it, but you're frustrated, you're, you're huffing and puffing, you're crying and you're sobbing and, oh, woe is me. And then come years down the road, you realize, wow, I thank God I didn't, God didn't give me that. I would have been messed up. We would be messed up if we, perfect example, a spoiled kid that gets everything, right? You know it, right? That's why God gave you children. You need therapy after this, but that's why he gave you children. So you can understand how God works. You've been parents, you know. We can say, Abba, Father, we know. And you say, Lord, forgive me. But God gives gifts. He gives every good gift. Every good gift comes from God. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Every good gift. Now, these good gifts are spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings. They're to help you spiritually to grow in the Lord. You can't say, Lord, I need a $7 million mansion. That would help me get closer to you. Lord, if I had a Mercedes, a BMW, I would get closer to you. Lord, if I had a Harley Davidson, I definitely would be in heaven. I'll get closer to you. Lord, you want me to get me? No, just kidding. Let me stop. Anyway, all spiritual blessings, all spiritual blessings. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Notice it's spiritual gifts, not material gifts. Spiritual gifts, always so materialistic. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable how materialistic we are. And we think that we're blessed because God is God. I have somebody say, oh, yeah, God bless you. Oh, God, this and that. Bless you. Oh, yeah, is that person got a big house? Yeah, God bless them. What if a person had a hut? I mean, really? 
Does it really matter? Bless you. God bless me. I have a roof over my head. And you want a bigger house? I said, Lord, Lord knows you don't need a bigger house. So when you don't get the million-dollar house and the, and the Jaguar and Mercedes-Benz and, and, you know, God knows. God knows. Here is a verse to remember that many of that movement, of the faith movement, that is, who kind of take this out of context that they think they could get everything they want, they want against God's will, they don't care. Here's one verse that I know they have not studied. If they know it, they will not share it, especially if they have a ministry, especially if they have a TV ministry. They will never share this. James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive. Wait a minute. Isn't that contrary, contradicting what God said anything you ask? You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Remember that, saints. Put that in your refrigerator. Don't fall for this hyper faith. Be content where God has you. Be content. Fourth question, verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Now, this is a, a formal accusation that's brought in a court of law. This charge against God's elect. Who can? Well, we know Satan loves to do that. Who can? There is one, Satan, who loves to do that to you. Saints, he's looking. He's, he loves it when you fail. He loves it when you sin. He loves it when you mess up. Why? Guess who he's running to? Guess where he's drawing up the papers to draw up the case against you in court? Satan, the accuser. Who can bring that against you? He loves to accuse the brethren. And can I tell you this? His accusations against us when we sin and we fail, it's valid. It is valid. Based on our sinful nature, based on our failures, it is valid. Because what? We do sin. We do fail. We don't practice sin. That's before the cross. We used to practice sin, but Christians do sin. We do fail. That's why First John, it says, he who says he has not sinned is a liar, <laughs> and the truth is not in you. Can we say we don't sin? Absolutely not. The difference from our sin, from the sins of the world, is that we don't practice sin. But we do fail it. We do fail. You sin, you blow it. Sin is drawing up a case. Okay, I'm taking this guy to court. I'm going to show God the Father. I'm going to show him. Uh, he sinned. He blew it this time. And I'm going to let him know about it. And doesn't he let you know about it? Oh, he sure does. He lets you know about it. In Revelation, he's the accuser. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, he says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down day and night. So that mean, what does that mean? He's accusing you every day. He accused you this morning. Little did you know. And guess what? After church, we're all holy here. Praise the Lord. We're having a great time when you get out of church. I don't know about you. Sometimes when I get hungry, I'm not going to talk about cheeseburgers. But some people get in the flesh when they're hungry. Not me. Judy knows I eat anything. She always say, what do you want me to make? Anything. Just put it on a plate. Anything. Put it on a plate. I eat anything. I really do. Oh, no, wait a minute. There's one thing I don't need. What is it? Asparagus? No, not asparagus. Brussels sprouts. Yes! You're with me. Wow. Thank God I'm a meditarian. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Satan loves to accuse you, saints. He loves you. He's going to accuse you. And that's what he does. He says, he'll go to the Lord. 
And Kay said, Lord, did you see what Eddie did? Lord, did you see what Mark did? Did you see what Jerry did? In court, bringing a case against you, accusing you of what you have done this morning or yesterday. He's going to accuse you. He's going to say, Lord, did you see what your servant did? And you know what God's going to say? He said, I don't know what you're talking about, but I see my son Jesus. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus sees. He sees his son. It's a different saints. Treasure that, your relationship with the Lord. Treasure your Christianity. There's a difference between those who are saved and those who are not. Those that are ain't and those that are saints. When God looks in earth, and I, somebody just brought this, I, I remember this illustration. You know, when, when you're going to buy a piece of jewelry, a gem or a diamond, I buy them all the time. Yeah, right. Just kidding. You want to look at the, the color of the diamond, you put it in a black velvet. That's the only way. You got to see something dark in order to see something beautiful. And it's the same way when we look at the sky, it's dark. What do you see at night? You see stars. The stars are beautiful, but it's a black sky. And that's what God sees when he looks at this dark earth. When he sees this earth and he looks down, what does he see? He sees the saints. He sees Jesus. He sees stars here on earth. In the dark world, you stand out to God the Father. And that's what God said. Saying, you want to bring accuse you against you. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And he answered, it is God who justifies. God the Father through his son declares the accused, you and I, the brethren, righteous on the basis of our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's all the Lord says. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, saying, but I see my son, Jesus. I see my son, Jesus. And so uh, as a result, all accusations are dismissed and no one can bring an accusation. And there's nothing that will stand in court against you before God. Verse 5, I mean, verse 34, the fifth question. The fifth question, question number five, verse 34. Who is he who condemns? Who is he who condemns? Is it Jesus is the one and the only and only one who can condemn and will condemn when the time comes. When Jesus was here doing his earthly ministry, he did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. John chapter three, verse 17, right? But it is Jesus who condemned. Jesus Christ is God-appointed judge. God's appointed judge. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 22. This is very important. John chapter 5, verse 22. It says, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to his son. Why is that? That's important for those of you who want to study eschatology, end times, and revelation. That's very important because when you get to revelation, who's going to do all the judging? Jesus. Now, why is that? Why is that? Isn't God? Yeah, but you see, there's a reason why the father has... has Commit all judgment to his son. Why? Because, I tell you why, Jesus became flesh. Jesus was the son of man. Jesus became like one of us to identify with us. In other words, he's been there and done that. I'm Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This incredible truth applies to us even today. We didn't do anything to warrant God's acceptance and love of us. He saw us while we were still sinners and loved us despite that. Would you like to know more about what that means for you? Please give us a call at 570-296-7367. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church family you can be a part of. The believers you'll encounter there will help you grow in your faith and offer you support in every situation. If you are in the New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania area, 
We'd love to have you come join us here in person at Calvary Chapel of Milford. For service times and more information, visit runningtheraceradio.com. If you'd like to listen to more messages from Running the Race, Tracy has more information on how. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor Eddie, go to runningtheraceradio.com and then click on the radio page. There you'll find today's message and many more. Thanks, Tracy. Join us next time for the continuing verse-by-verse study of Romans with Pastor Eddie Pinero right here on Running the Race. 